Welcome to the If You Build It, Will They Learn podcast, a show dedicated to modern learning and development with your hosts, Daniel Mendoza and Scott Babcock. It's podcast day. Welcome to the show. This is If You Build It, Will They Learn. I'm Scott Babcock, and I'm here with your co-host, Daniel Mendoza, and our producers, Sabrina Pontoni, and we are excited to come to you today. Daniel and Sabrina, how are you? Doing well. Sometimes I wonder why we bring Sabrina back, but hey, she still has the uh, episode with the most listens ever, so I guess that's why. Popular demand, that's why. I'm back. (laughs) I'm excited to be back. All right, we brought Serena back because we are going to go ahead and do a mailbag show. It's been a little while. We went around the office. That's where we collected our questions today. We went to some other folks from Haylight, and we got some of their pressing questions and desires to hear what we've been up to, uh, what we think about certain topics, and how we can potentially help the podcast even more. So uh, really excited to do another mailbag show. Let's get right to it. Our first question is... What is the biggest takeaway you hope people learn after listening to the podcast? I like this question. Just uh, we, we mention it from time to time on the show. For us, I think one of the biggest things that we've always wanted someone to take away is that all of this is doable, just uh, despite where you might be from an experience perspective or where you are in an organizationally, there are ways to tackle some of the things that we're talking about. So if you've wanted to get to micro learning and maybe just haven't had a chance, there are ways to do that. Uh, if you are not sure how to kind of organize your content or start to build things that will be more impactful or have better objectives, whatever those topics are that maybe you're hesitant to get started or you're not sure where to begin, like I'm hoping that the podcast gives you some kind of actionable items that you can go back, real world scenarios that you can execute in your job, in your role, and just know that there are others that are out there that are kind of facing those same things and hopefully give you some experience points that help you do those things better. Yeah. And I'll hop on that, uh, that kind of same overall concept and just use a really traditional statement of just like fail to plan, plan to fail. Like you really, when it comes to a learning perspective, you really want to, to overarch and, and understand what the objectives you have are and what the objectives are your organization to be sure that everybody can be aligned in the same way. If you really go out there and are just developing learning or, or training on a whim, um, you're going to end up upsetting people or not getting the approval of others. So um, making sure you have objectives and, and creating some sort of plan to follow uh, when in any topic or any concept of learning and development. It's like death, taxes, and Daniel's ability to bring up objectives in one of our podcasts. They're the certainties of life. I love it. I thought I'd start it first, right? Nice and early today. Very nicely done. <laughs> So our next question dives a little bit more into the technical side of things, but what do you guys think are the most critical features of an LMS? I can hop in here first, Scott, and I'll, I'll start by, uh, I'll, I'll keep it a little bit lighter before you maybe get a little technical from an LMS perspective, but I'm going to f- follow up what we just talked about. And it's really going to be around the fact uh, that you have to understand what your objectives are for your LMS, who's your target audience? Um, who are the people who are coming to the platform and training? What are the things you want them to train on and be educated on? And the critical features of an LMS can change from month to month, even quarter to quarter, year to year. If you're in a place where your goal is to decrease the time it takes to onboard a new employee from a learning and a training perspective, the, the critical feature of the LMS may be ease of use and the learning paths or the curriculums or those sorts of items that allow you to organize, track, and manage and analyze the onboarding process. 
if you are training distributors and you're in an extended enterprise environment, your critical features may be how you can incentivize them to come in and voluntarily take training. It all depends on your objectives. And, and once you kind of understand those, you can really go through and pick out what makes sense for you to achieve those objectives. I think if we look at the technical side, which is just sort of where I spend a lot of my time is solutioning new ideas and, and making sure LMS platforms are ready to go for kind of anybody, to your point, those key elements or those, those smaller feature segments probably do vary a bit in terms of where you are in your journey. But I think if we talk about just a, a learning platform in general, a couple of things that I've noticed and I've always believed in is user navigation and the ability to just find what they're looking for quickly. Um, that can come in different forms. I'm, I'm not saying there's a, a one size fits all approach to that, but the ability, if a user can't find what they're looking for or understand how to get around a site when they first log in, you're doomed right from the beginning. To Daniel's point, I also think that the flexibility of a program or a platform to conform to changing environments uh, within sort of the industry, uh, technology's changed in the last 10 years quite a bit. When you think about some of these things, people are moving more to tablets and mobile devices rather than desktops. Is your site that you're using able to adapt? There are a lot of sites out there that offer that where you can kind of shift gears over time and they offer those features that kind of enhance or improve that experience. But there are a lot of systems out there that are coded in a way, if you will, that, that they're pretty much locked to what they can do and the ability to change them is expensive or time consuming in, in terms of what you're going to have to invest to make them get up to date uh, or to constantly be updated. Um, so finding a system that's flexible with, with changing times. The anecdote I'll give you right now is I've got kids right now that are doing virtual schooling. They're doing remote as I think most of us with, with kids are doing today. I'm amazed. I, I've been building sites for, for adult learners for, you know, 15 years or whatever. I always thought through it from that lens, right? What is, what is an associate or a salesperson or a corporate employee going to utilize this system to do and understanding sort of the adult learning theory. But as I, as I'm working with my kids and they have variations on what a learning platform is in schools, it is amazing how they've built almost an ad adult learning platform and expected a six-year-old to understand how to get around at it. Six-year-olds can't read well, right? They don't read long sentences. They don't read large, complex words. So instructions have to be very visual for them. The reality is if you have a catalog-based LMS, which one of my kids is using today, he can't figure out where he's supposed to go to find his training for the day because he can't, he can't read through the catalog to see what the date is or whatever it is. You need a system that speaks to your audience. I think Daniel touched on that and that's huge right now. And, and I'm seeing it more and more. You have to understand your audience. The system has to make it easy for that, that level of user to find the content. Otherwise they're going to get frustrated and they're going to abandon your platform and it's not going to be successful. So this next question kind of takes on from the HR side of e-learning. And the question is, how does e-learning and training contribute to employee satisfaction and engagement within their organization? I can start on this one. One of the things that I think is really important when we talk about the way employee satisfaction results in, uh, from training is what I, I will call it the recruitment factor. When you have an organization that has employees that feel trained or feel developed, you're likely to, one, get more employees interested in your company because there's a there's that culture of learning that we've talked about in other episodes that resonates that that messaging will come from peers and coworkers who are like hey you should come work with us we're doing great things in training you get a lot of support i think you're going to see that as being a really great way to almost look at ROI i think long term is are you recruiting better talent more interested in talent 
more active talent that are looking at your organization as a training vehicle for them, a development opportunity for them from a professional or personal uh, ability. I think that just resonates within the industry. Yeah. So I think when it comes down to this, for me, it's more than ever, the millennial or the Gen Z employee has a what's in it for me style attitude when it comes to the workplace. And I don't think that's positive or negative because I also think millennials can be very, very hardworking, but they're, they're, they are looking for the, the best position for themselves. So when, you, when you're in a continuous learning environment or you're, you're working for an employer who offers growth opportunities and learning opportunities to get better in your role, to train in your role and be part of a learning culture, there is more positive empowerment to the role. So I think it grows huge in terms of employee satisfaction and engagement when you can offer those environments to them. I find that with those types of employees who are looking for that continuous improvement and have that kind of attitude towards the workplace in terms of wanting to have a growth mindset and be pushed to learn, you also build greater loyalty as well. They may start with a what's in it for me attitude and there's nothing in it for me. They're going to have a small loyalty, but if you can empower them to learn and continue to develop in the role, their, their loyalty grows very, very strong. So I think that I think that providing those opportunities will really help um, just overall satisfaction, but the loyalty of that employee to the organization to want to stay there longer, want to do better in the role and ultimately, you know, achieve more. This next question, I'm actually very interested in hearing about. So how do you both continue to learn in order to stay on top of things in your role and just the learning industry in general? LinkedIn is probably one of my favorite places for this. Um, I think it's a great place to start. I think we mentioned this before, but how to get started in e-learning or, or how to do those things. Typically, when you're in a community of people that work in an industry, most people are very, very receptive to having conversations, to interacting, just, just getting involved and having conversations around certain topics. So I would say just, just general conversation, but it would be the, the sharing online of what the different articles, different concepts, different blogs that people write, allow me to start understanding different concepts or learning about new concepts or where things are headed. And then from there, if, if I have questions about an article that was written by someone, I'll, I'll, I'll reach out. I'll send a message on LinkedIn. Um, send them an email and, and ask, hey, can we get on the phone and talk about this a bit more and unpack this a little bit more? And you know, how is your company doing this and, and doing well? And and going back to, I think we've talked about this before, about like building the tallest building in town or knocking the rest of them around you, even competitors of Haylight are pretty free to, and open to have conversations about the industry. Um, same thing we, I mean, this is what this podcast is intended to do. This is this podcast is to help people grow their knowledge. So I think just general conversation, interaction, um, sharing of information is is a big way. And then from there, I think it's just asking questions of uh, the clients you work with as well, because they all work in L&D and they are, are researching, attending conferences and things like that. So I think just general interaction with peers in the industry help us stay on the, um, the cutting edge and, and, and hear those sorts of things. I'm pretty lucky in my job that this is part of what I do is, is trying to stay up to speed. So a lot of mine actually begins with those client interactions. Um, a client or a business partner one says, I want to accomplish X, Y, or Z. And my job is to go figure out how we make that a thing that doesn't already exist. So that's a lot of where it begins. But for me, 
I think Daniel has some really good ideas on ways to get the, the ball rolling, have some conversations. What I try to do, and I probably am not able to do it as often as I wish uh, I could with, with life that just happens, but we've probably all gotten sucked into the Facebook video hole. Uh, we always call it the rabbit hole uh, or TikTok or whatever it is. Like you start watching one video and then you watch the next video and you watch the next video and the next thing you know, it's an hour and a half later. If you can take some of that time and whether it's an article you read on LinkedIn or whether it's just a Google you know search that you're doing on the internet for trends and training or new technologies or whatever it is, those articles inevitably are filled with links. They always are. And if you can find one link in that one article you're reading and click it and go learn about the next thing, that one's going to have another article. And if you can kind of shift and say, look, I'm going to, I'm going to go into that rabbit hole a little bit, but more on a professional basis, you're going to find that you, you can learn a lot that way just by following sort of the, the thread of consciousness within some of those articles that help you understand deeper and deeper and deeper. Those are great ways to just get caught up a little bit. And so if you can dedicate some of that time to just staying on top of your professional life, as much as you want to also watch cat videos or uh, TikTok for whatever reason is throwing me a lot of like fishing how-tos lately. Uh, I don't know. Probably telling me I wish I was getting out on the lake more, I guess, and doing some fishing. But, you know, it's, it's super easy to get sucked in those. And they're, look, they're entertaining. And the reality is when you're going to look for new trends in training, they're not getting quite the same uh, marketing value probably that a lot of other platforms are going to give you. But there's really great ways to just follow that rabbit hole down and learn a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. We talked about gaining that 1% uh, on the episode with Greg. Every day, are you trying to get a little bit more knowledge, a little bit more knowledge? And if you just dedicate that time, whether it's on LinkedIn, whether it's through uh, internet searches, whether it's through talking with a peer that maybe has some ideas, reach out to others in the industry. Like like Daniel said, the one thing I've learned from the L&D industry as a whole, we all like to share what we do. Nobody thinks they have the secret sauce and is trying to hold it for the win. And so you'll find most people are pretty open to the idea of talking through concepts, talking through ideas. Yeah, they're going to take a few ideas from you and, and try to implement them. And you're going to take a few ideas from them. But I think everybody's pretty good with that, that kind of sharing mentality within the industry. So in our last episode, the guest Greg Miner mentioned, he talked about the negative stigma around training. Why do you think that stigma exists? And how would you change that in your organization? Like, what are some suggestions? I think with the negative stigma of training and one of my greatest regrets from last week's episode, which by the way, I think is one of our, I think Scott, we both agree one of our favorites for sure, is that we didn't unpack this a tiny bit more. And, and I think we're going to unpack this in the future, but the stigma around training comes from, I, I believe at least bad or poor training. When you have to take boring WMIS training or health and safety training, when you join an organization. And typically it's when you, you join like a entry-level job as a high school student or a college student, you work at McDonald's or in Canada, Tim Hortons or, you know, something like that, or a caribou for, you know, Minnesotans. It's you, you sit in the back room on a training machine and you take a 45 minute long training on, um, Wimis. And, and I know athletes at the university, I have to take their concussion training. That's an hour long program on on concussion safety and then they they take their drug seminar to figure out what they can and cannot take and from over the counter supplements and it's just they're just sitting in front of a screen and just listening to someone talk and it's 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 not engaging it's not relevant so it creates this stigma that any training can be negative training and i think the reality of it is is that training actually happens everywhere we talk about one percent of it and i'm gonna spend you know eight to ten hours working today um including this podcast I'm going to be learning and training the whole time. I'm going to be interacting with people. I'm going to be taking in thoughts and processes and continuous improvements. We're going to talk to clients and 
the training is happening because I generally have a growth mindset and, and want to have a culture of learning. So the stigma of training comes from poor training behind a screen, not interacting, not being engaging. But the reality is if you can develop your learning culture, it can help eliminate that uh, stigma that comes by working with the trainee, the end user who's, who's interacting with the training and, and figuring out what's important to them, what, what they want to see from training, how it's best for them and, and getting their feedback consistently and, and taking their, their feedback into consideration. Daniel mentions that this is something that we'll probably have to unpack in a much greater level in a, in a future episode, because I do think it's something we could spend a long time talking about really. But one of the things that I think is also, we see it with our clients and, and in, in my past lives with just being on these teams, training is often seen as a fix to a problem. That's the approach we get. Hey, this isn't working. Go put training out there. And half the time, even when that comes to you, you're like, okay, cool. What do we have to fix to make it better? And they're like, I don't know, just put training out there. Training will fix it. And when that is your approach, organizationally, leadership-based, or just in general, the way you build your content, or if that's the message of your content, the reality is you're always being reactive to a problem. And what that ultimately, from a learner's perspective, says is the only time I'm getting trained is when I'm failing or when I'm struggling or when I haven't hit a mark or our numbers aren't where they need to be organizationally. Well, inevitably, that comes with very negative connotations that go with it and can be kind of draining. If you treat training as an investment, as a way to proactively make people better so that those problems don't exist in the first place. Now you have positivity. I'm trying to build you up. I'm trying to uh, help you grow. I'm trying to help you develop and become even more successful than you already are, hopefully. Now you've changed that narrative to be more positive instead of being negative on, you know, why, we got to fix this because it's broken and here's why you're in trouble to let's help you grow so we can even move that bar higher and higher and higher and that we hopefully don't see those problems in and of themselves. And then when a problem does exist, you aren't already putting up that defensive barrier because you're just assuming it's a negative approach, right? You can have more constructive conversations around how we how we improve or how we change to get better. I think it's just, it, there's that mentality that are you thinking about training as just a stopgap fix to a problem that exists today that's going to be negative? Or are you thinking about it as a development opportunity or an investment in your people or an investment in your business? If you get to that place, when we talk about how do you make that change, I think and look, that's not a small hurdle to clear. So I should make that very clear as well. I don't want to, I don't want to downplay that. It's just super easy. You just think differently, but that would be my, why I think there's stigma. And I think that's what you have to work on changing from an organization perspective. Do you think the pandemic and everyone working from home has played a role in more organizations willingness to accept e-learning or maybe introduce it into their organization? Yes. Next question. Oh, sorry. You probably want some, <laughs> some detail on that. Uh, no, I think the reality is that organizations have seen that they have to change. It, it, obviously, the pandemic is just a very obvious way that uh, it's being forced upon a lot of organizations to react in the moment. But it takes any of those what we consider traditional methodologies from past where it has to be live, it has to be in classroom. Um, and even if that was just some mix of your organization's training content, you're having to adapt. You still need that message to go out. You can't stop training your employees. And I think with that in mind, more organizations said, okay, how do we take some of that content? How do we either make it virtually led so we can do it over Zoom or Teams or whatever other platform you might be using, but also what of that can be converted into more self-paced so that we can give you the opportunity to learn on your own, give you the tools and the resources. And I think e-learning is one of those methodologies that really helps people uh, bridge that gap between being face-to-face -face where they probably would still prefer to be, and don't get me wrong, that's still something that I think has tremendous value in the right settings, but also evaluating what can be e-learning amongst their catalog. 
I'll piggyback on that. And I think we feel the same way about this. It's really opened, expanded the mind of like things that previously people said have to be in person. That's just not the case anymore. I, I know from talking to a lot of partners of ours and just people in the industry that there's actually been quite a bit of success taking certain things. Obviously there's, there's cost effectiveness of taking things online, but there's been quite a bit of success of, of actually just allowing them to engage in certain scenarios in a self-paced environment. Even from a from the place of con- like a lot of learning happens at conferences and trade shows and, and those sorts of things that are typically in person, a lot of those have gone virtual and changing up the structure to be part online and live and part self-paced has allowed a different type of learning to happen from a conference perspective as well. So I think that it's definitely made the learner more willing to go online. A lot of organizations are going there because they don't have a choice after they see the results and and see the positives that have come out of it. They're able to better understand what can be online and in e-learning fashion and what still has to be in person. And they're going to have to follow up on that after the fact. More and more organizations also are changing their mindset on a lot of things, obviously, and, and some of it is forced on them. More and more, they're also playing against their thought processes on who their employees are. I think there are a lot of assumptions and presumptions that go into thinking about your employees. Our employees don't want to use technology. Our employees don't have the bandwidth. Our employees don't have whatever, right? I mean, there's there's a thousand ways that we sort of put in mental barriers on why an employee would never accept this. And the reality is they they don't have a choice at this point, right? It's being forced upon them in a way that they, they maybe wouldn't have accepted in the past, but they have to move forward. And I think with that comes the realization that their employees are stronger than they maybe sometimes give them credit for, or there's more avenues and opportunities than they maybe saw in the past. So I think that they're seeing that. And when you start to see some of those things, they're also now starting to treat this as, well, what better time to test some of this and see if it actually works than now? We have to anyway. The world's kind of forcing our hand on some of this stuff. Why not give it a test run? And look, if it doesn't work, hopefully someday in the not so distant future, we can go back, right? We can always go back. The content already exists. It's not such a shift to go backwards if it isn't landing the way they hoped. But if it's successful, to Dana's point, they may find financial benefit. They may find better engagement. They may find higher satisfaction. They may find greater retention or better recruiting because they've been a leader in adapting to that change. And so using this right now as a, as a learning opportunity for an organization rather than just a learning opportunity for employees is is another way to think about it right now that I think has changed that mental mindset. Yeah. And I think that the one thing when it comes to training and learning that always gets left out is that it doesn't always go, you know, really well with sunshine and rainbows and unicorns flying through the sky and, and, and that when you take something online, which they've had to do with certain things, and like we've said before, not everything can be an e-learning. Not everything can be self-paced or, or be digital. There are certain things that do have to be face-to-face. If you have a major failure, that's just, um, from an online training perspective, that's just as valuable as having a major success. When you learn that something you thought that should be in person does have to be in person, that's a, that's a check mark that next time you evaluate your training budget, next time you evaluate your training strategy, that's something you know that, that you can follow. So I think that evaluating those wins and losses through this whole process is the most important part of the pandemic's definitely opened people's eyes. But if you come out of this and your picture isn't clearer in terms of what can be online and what can be in person, then I think that is a miss. And I go back to something that, that our, our executive team said when the pandemic started to all of us was 
it's it's probably not going to be the best year in company history, but if we're a better company coming out of the pandemic than we were going into it, then we've succeeded. And I think that's true in anything through this process is you have to find the, the your wins may not be um, in your business growth, but if you can find wins in other places, so from L&D and department, finding efficiencies and finding different ways to train that are more effective is a big win. Now that we've covered all of the technical questions about e-learning and training, we're going to twist the last question into what I would call a mushy question, and it's kind of more personal. Mushy, mushy, yes. Did I hear that right? Okay, mushy? Yes, mushy, yeah. Highly technical industry term, mushy. Highly technical. Um, so the last question is, what is your favorite client success story? I will uh, kick this one off. I have I have one that stands out repeatedly and the cool part is it's it's a single point in time story but it has lasted three plus years now it seems like i think if i'm doing the math right but we did a uh for a a conference ultimately but it was going to be an on in-person training experience but what they really wanted to do was take it away from just powerpoint standing in front lecture give your notes maybe have people raise their hand answer poll questions that was maybe traditionally how that organization had done it and they wanted to implement more technology into their classroom, if you will. And so they wanted their facilitators to be able to ask questions live in the moment. And of course, there's polling softwares out there that will allow that. But what they wanted to do is take that one step further and do live quizzing, team-based games, and ultimately have uh, Road Rally was the name of the event, but a race that happens. And it was based on your performance as a user in a larger group, and you would get to make a car and customize it, uh, and really kind of put some personality behind your team. And then you would race against other teams based on a pub style trivia game. First of all, we got to go to the event live and we got to see it take place. In that moment, it was really fun to watch because here you had about 50 people in each one of the classrooms that went through the rotation as part of the conference. And we had like tables screaming and cheering and trash talking with each other to, to tell each other like, look, we're going to beat you this time. Oh, no way you take this race from us. We've got all the answers. And look, they're, they're answering quiz questions about labor and schedule effectiveness, I think was the ultimate topic of the, of the class that they were learning about. <laughs> yeah, was- But man, they were like really going at it with some like gusto and we saw energy that you just don't see in a typical classroom which was awesome cool but that has been the catalyst for virtually every conversation we've had with that client from that point to this point which again is about three years it starts with hey do you remember road rally we want more of that in everything i'm talking about our e-learning should be more geared towards that thought process we want our online classes to think more along those lines We want to implement a new tool that does some more of that. And it's always like when you create something for us or when we strategize how this can look or logistically how we pull this together, it's always remember Road Rally and build from there. Like we want that level of excitement. And look, they, they bring it up to talk about reporting enhancements, right? Which does not have gamification in it typically or whatever, but they're like, we need our users to want that to be part of their life. And so we at least use it as a foundation. That to me is why it's the coolest success stories because it was not just that one moment in time, but it has resonated throughout every project since then that we need to be more like that. We need to think more like that. And I will be honest with you, getting that project, call it approved for that event, took some convincing. And we saw a lot of converts in that organization that the fact that they're still thinking that way, I think changed a lot of minds. I, to me, I love that. I think that organization has taken leaps and bounds to, to kind of improve their status based on that one event. I, I was obviously involved closely with that project and uh, it was a ton of fun to be involved with. And um, 
it was it was amazing to see. And like you said, it's, it's really guided that client from for quite some time now. Um, my favorite client success story is actually, um, I'm going to maybe get a little bit, uh, I don't know if, if romantic is the right word, but with uh, it's actually my first, first probably major, major client that I had. They came in and they had needs um, around the globe for for training their their dealers, their distributors, their retail sales associates at uh, their authorized retailers that sell their product. Um, and they had very narrow mindset of what their goals and objectives were. So we need to train these sales associates. We're going to give them a product or a discount on our product if they train. And how many people we get there to take that training is our main goal and objective. The biggest thing that I take away from that and why I think it's one of our biggest success stories, obviously, they're still a, a longstanding client of ours. Um, since that day, they've, they've trained 47,000 sales associates. But not only that, they've, they've created a community around their products across um, the globe by having a more engaging environment. So taking it from the, their goal and objectives, and we talk about objectives all the time, of just incentivize them to take a training to now incentivize them to come in and engage with a unique monthly quiz and earn points and, and interact and post about their experience training with our products and see what's going on in store and, and speak to their in-person reps about what they took online. And they basically developed a community around their training on their products to help them sell it better. And it's now in a place where, like Scott said, and this is how a lot of training can start, um, you have hesitant buy-in from your management or leadership on your initiatives to now the point where when the pandemic hit and obviously online training is super important and they're, they're talking about budget cuts and budget adjustments. It's, it's something that is foolproof to them of like, we, no, 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 we cannot take away from the investment in that because it's a major success in how our products are being sold when retail returns. And that's a huge, huge win for us. So uh, it's, it's my client success story because of obviously how successful they've been, but it's also, I, I threw it out there because it was my first major customer and it's great that they're, you know, still being successful and, and uh, with us and, and helping. And they've been great in terms of helping drive our business and grow our business as well. So they've been a great partner and it's so great to uh, be able to talk about that. We talk about long-term like mindset growth too, I guess. Halite as a company still uses that implementation and that platform as sort of our vision of good when we talk either with a client or when we evaluate like should this be a thing or should this you know kind of fall off if it's not maybe successful like that client's experience that because it is a robust platform that has had success for a long period of time is still sort of like our benchmark internally when we think about how we want to present something to a client or offer up something to a client or recommend something to a client we often go back and say did it work over there? And if so, what was the metric that we could we could kind of apply to give success to it? So I think we still use that as almost our internal compass on a lot of things as well. So it like while it's had great success for the client, which is clearly uh, just as important as, or probably more so, um, we use it internally too. So I think it's it's really helped us evaluate what's what's working and what's not. One hundred percent. Come on, get happy. All right, we wrap up every show with a positivity point, a little energy coming from the world that we want to share out and uh, get everyone excited about. For me, it, it shouldn't come as a surprise. Football is here. Fantasy football has happened. I got a win. Well, Daniel, Daniel, I think also got a win in our league. So Sure did. Uh, yeah, so big wins for both of us. It seems simple, and it's probably a, a no-brainer to go to, but 
I love fantasy football. My kids actually are going to play in a little family league this year. So they're getting some energy and they're super excited about it. So that's really cool. And just in general, it's normalcy, I think, on some level. And it's just nice to have a little bit of that back. Um, I hope it gets to stick around. Uh, The games were a little all over the board. Uh, They were better, actually, than I thought they'd be without a lot of practice in preseason. So I was pretty excited that most of them were pretty competitive. Um, And we got to watch Brady Breeze for the first, uh, first week of the of the season. So if you're going to talk about two of the best that have ever done it, go at it head to head. Why not? I'll, uh, I'll hop in. I'll say that uh, Sabrina usually laughs at us and says we should just start a fantasy football or a football podcast because we spend the first 10 minutes uh, this morning, 15 minutes this morning talking about the weekend's football games. Um, and before the weekend, we, t- we spent <laughs> in our planning session last week talking about the weekend's football games that were upcoming. I also want to point out that my win this week was actually against someone we know who is a listener. So I just want to, you know, point that out there. If you're <laughs> listening, you know, it was a nice win. Um, my my positivity point is uh, is football related as well. I'm a it's it's weird because now we do a lot of work in Nashville. Scott lives in Nashville, but I'm actually a Tennessee Titans fan. They're based out of Nashville, and they got a nice win last night. I wasn't super thrilled that they had a 10:15 start, and I had to stay up till you know 1:30. Uh, Eastern to to watch the game, but uh, they squeaked it out. But it was nice to start the season off with a win. I heard it was first time their franchise had won in Denver uh, in like 33 years or something like that. So big W. Um, I'm not sure we're a championship team, but when the Titans win and the Colts lose, it's always a good day in our division. That uh, digresses with our preview of uh, Daniel and Scott's future fantasy football podcast. Look for that coming sometime to a podcast near you. Uh, But yeah, that'll do it for us today. I'm Scott Babcock. He's Daniel Mendoza. She's Sabrina Pontoni. And we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to another episode of the If You Build It, Will They Learn podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Join the conversation by emailing us at podcast at haylight.com. Find us on social media at Build It, Learn It, and be sure to check us out on the web at www.haylight.com. That's H-A-L-I-G-H-T dot com.